Welcome to Panelism, a podcast where we talk about the comics and graphic novels we're reading. I'm Todd A. I'm Taylor Trask. Hey. Hello. Welcome back, Taylor. <laughs> I always I feel funny saying that because we tape several of these in a day. And yeah, that's all <laughs> right. Is, it's the Wheel of Fortune model where we have to pretend we didn't see Vanna in that dress earlier. That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, we you know, secretly Pat, we tape all of these in one month, and then they run throughout the rest of the year, and and we're off on the slopes skiing with Pat that's Sajak. Right. That's right. What must Pat Sajak be like in real life, like outside of the show? He just is he like just a totally different individual? Does he just go hog wild? You know, it's beer and hookers and stuff. Like, what, what does he do? <laughs> like, what does I mean seriously? Like, because he's got that. He's got to basically to your point. They film multiple ones in a day. He's got to kind of lock in on that persona, and he's been doing that oh for my God. 45 damn years or whatever it is at this juncture. Well, and I f- think he had the same persona when he was a weatherman in Nashville, so mm. there we go. He I was, forgot uh, all about that yeah. little <laughs> aspect of his career, that little side sidestep. Yeah, he. Yeah, I, I remember it was not too long ago that I read that thing about how many months of the year they work to and they're they're paid like out, they make an outrageous amount of money yeah um but yeah they only work like four months out of the year or something anyway you and i are just in that podcast grind you know that's right yeah, that's right can't retire off these podcast royalties yet not yet not <laughs> download yet. us for free <laughs> um yeah uh so this is a podcast where we um uh, we talk about the comics and graphic novels we're reading specifically like trade paperbacks and stuff um, and, uh, regular listeners will know that y- <laughs> I, you have been on a tear of bringing interesting things every week and I just keep bringing superheroes. That's what I feel like <laughs> that's okay. today. You know that's, that's the best part about the show though. You get a little of column A, you get a little of column B. Totally. I, you know, I forgot. I, I did actually do shirtless bear fighter recently. I was going to say, <laughs> you don't need to worry too much. You're, yeah. Um, and but actually, before that, I had done uh, Domino, which is still running, yep. and I had talked about Mockingbird uh, Volumes 1 and 2, and so I think my pick today is going to go right in line with a lot of the things I said about those books, because um, I'm talking about The Unstoppable Wasp, mm. which is a Marvel book. Um, it was written by Jeremy Whitley, art by Elsa Chartier. Chartier? What's, I don't know. It looks, it looks sure. sort of French. Um, that is always our answer when we hit a name that we have not, uh, previously checked out. Sure. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, as I said, it's Marvel and it, um, it was pu- released in 2017 and the series is over. It is an eight issue series. Um, there is an interesting note at the end. So I'm going to talk about volumes one and two. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's an interesting note at the end of volume two from Jeremy Whitley, the writer who said, it, this is the original story we pitched. It was eight issues. So I don't think that it was um like a mockingbird case where it was canceled if you've heard our episode on that i talk about how volume one is so great and so tight with this like you know really great wrapped up story that's a a puzzle box story that goes through all the whatever it is five or six issues Mm. um and then volume two is sort of like the leftover b-sides because the book got that was sort of announced it would be canceled and I think they produced those next three or four issues or something, knowing they were going to be canceled. So they couldn't get into anything too deep. This does yeah, feel okay. like it's, it's, it is uh, all contained and whole in these two volumes with one little weird exception I will talk about. Um, 
but I think it, you know, it, it stands next to those books. Uh, it, Bobby Morse, who is Mockingbird appears in the unstoppable wasp. Um, <clears throat> at the time that this, uh, you know, showed up, I th was sure that they were launching the standalone wasp book to coincide with the movie Ant-Man and the wasp and, you know, just sort of bring wasp out on her own. Um, <laughs> Little did I know <laughs> they're not actually related. Oh, so all right. we're, we're going to get into that too. Um, uh, I just wanted to preface that a little bit before I read you the back cover description, because this is going to, is going to give away the ghost a little bit um, when you hear the names. Uh, anyway, the back cover says Nadia spent the entire first half of her life as a captive of the red room. But now this teenage super scientist is spreading her wings Hank Pym's daughter has a lot of time to make up for, and she's determined to change the world. With Jarvis at her side, she's on a mission to bring together the brightest girl geniuses of the Marvel Universe, starting with Lunella Lafayette, the miraculous moon girl. Side note, if you're in Nashville, that is pronounced Lafayette. Uh, <laughs> but Nadia didn't count on evil scientists, man-eating giant rats, or devil dinosaur or the lethal lady wrestlers known as the grapplers. And even as Nadia's recruiting drive continues, the red room is on her trail and they'll put out all the stops to get her back. And the geniuses of G I R L find a way to save Nadia from being dragged back to the bunker. Okay. Um, so right out of the gate is the fact that they're, yep. <laughs> their acronym G I R L in any way sort of off putting to you, or does it, does it, is it cute and kind of non, non creatively offensive? It is cute and non-creatively offensive because uh, this book is is definitely written for the tween to teenage girl audience. Perfect. Okay. Yeah. Um, so it is, uh, uh, I believe, uh, so G-I-R-L stands for Genius Geniuses in Action Research Laboratories. Um, but I, you know, I wanted to read that back cover. But Todd, that spells Gyarl. <laughs> Gyarl. Gyarl. <laughs> um, yeah, the action is, I guess it's one word, inaction. Ah, okay. All Genius right. is inaction. The genius. Oh, no, that's all right. Anyway, um, the I wanted to read that back cover because if you're familiar with the hit movie Ant-Man and the Wasp, you might think, hey, <laughs> Hank Pym's daughter is named Hope. Um <laughs> this is Nadia. So uh, there is a, what they've done with this story is um, I, I, apparently this was alluded to in some issues of, oh man, I can't even remember. It's like all new Avengers or something. This is a classic case of like Marvel threw out like this character of this new wasp and, and sort of teased her backstory. And, <laughs> and then, you know, and then put it in the hands of a writer to flesh out and actually come up with that. You know, in other words, I don't think the backstory existed until Jeremy Whitley wrote it, but he kind of had some milestones that he had to cover in it. So Nadia, another thing is very confusing. Let me point this out about the back cover because she says this in the book is I spent the first half of my life. Yeah. She's 16. Hopefully that was just like the first, you know, fifth of her life. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's not half like, you know, let me um, ask you this: Is Nadia a character that we know from Marvel canon prior to this? Is this is this like a a re retake on? Some, okay, but is, is Hank's daughter always Hope in previous? I don't know that she is, books? but I don't think that she has ever been Nadia because the story with Nadia is that Hank was married before Janet, oh, and what? that yes, and he How was married. 
to a, a Russian whose last name I'll never be able to pronounce, even though it didn't look that hard, but her first name is Maria. And um, uh, but little did Hank know that. So they, they were married. Uh, she became pregnant and I believe she was kidnapped by the red room or something like that. And her daughter was taken hostage there. And then she was killed. Maria, this is. Um, and so Hank didn't necessarily know he had a daughter. Um... From Maria, that is the story here. So Nadia is this secret daughter of Hank Pym's. And at this point in the Marvel universe, um, Hank Pym is dead. And I'm not sure the circumstances around that. So I, I don't actually know if he has come back at this point or not, but that's the, you know, that's our, our starting line. And that's where the wasp, the unstoppable wasp takes place is with Hank Pym dead. Um, we, it starts out right away, like New York city, uh, miss Marvel, not captain Marvel, but miss Marvel is with Nadia and sort of shepherding her around. So obviously they're aware of, you know, who she is. They're, the Avengers are kind of protecting her. Um, she is in fact, like a young Avenger or something like that. It, it, you know, she seems to be operating within the, with the agreement and understanding of the Avengers, you know, but she's not, she's official, officially licensed, licensed. Franchise. Yeah. It's not that thing that, um, you know, that they played off of a lot in the, the Spider-Man movie where, you know, there's sort of a, you know, he has a minder and he's not supposed to be engaging in Avengers business. You know, it's like, mm -hmm. just stick to your friendly neighborhood or whatever. I love that we can reduce happy Hogan now to like a North Korean minder, like following, <laughs> following around, like waving you away. No, 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 don't look. I, he, that was pretty much what he was playing in that movie. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, much different than when he was, uh, so outgoing as, uh, <laughs> uh, foggy Nelson and daredevil. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Holy. So wait, 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 wait. John Favreau pull. <laughs> I, so John Favreau was in a shitty Marvel movie before he directed a really good Marvel movie. Yeah. And kind of launched all that. Wow. Yeah. I totally forget about that daredevil movie. I just, I just remember that terrible scene with Colin Fer uh, Farrell, uh, jumping on a car and like throwing like toothpicks or paper clips or some such nonsense, like, like five city blocks. <laughs> Getting it. it's just like okay none of that's ever gonna happen everything <laughs> was so weird like, what, in that movie um and i don't know where we where i went off there anyway um you invoked the worst yeah, yeah. marvel movie of all time that's what happened the, the minder so so in this jarvis it's another this this is one of those things where i have not paid attention to like canon comics and so long that when i dip in and out my only points of reference are the movies so jarvis is actually the name of a human butler in the avengers okay <laughs> um which i just was not aware of but um that is the jarvis that is minding nadia okay. so you know miss marvel has this little interaction with her at the beginning and we get to know a little bit of nadia's character nadia is not out like superheroing all the time she's really just fascinated with freedom now that she's out of the red room I assume this is, I don't even know that this term, the red room was used with uh black widow, but that is where she was trained to be an assassin is mm -hmm. the, the Russian red room. I was going to um, ask about black widow if she had encountered her. Yes. Was... And Nadia is aware of Natasha. I think Natasha is the one who uh, helped her get out and brought her to the States. Mm -hmm. um, there's also this weird thing um, where, which is like, I just didn't know this was going on in, in sort of, canon comics right now is canon superhero comics where like at one point some you know russian agents show up and they're holding a badge that's like the hammer and sickle as though it's the soviet union 
hmm. which is I, it's just very weird. Like this is a thing that happens in Archer, but in Archer, it's it's clear that like Archer's constantly playing with timelines and references and stuff. You know, everyone uses like an old timey computer mm-hmm. and has like phones on their desk and stuff. So it's just this way of being like, hey, it's a Cold War story, but we know we're not in the Cold War anymore. So we have to mm-hmm. kind of mm-hmm. have all these weird anachronisms. But this it was just bizarre to me that these agents show up with a Soviet shield. Um, they anyway. Uh, maybe there's some su- other event you missed in the maybe current <laughs> so, Marvel universe. So yeah, uh, possibly. Um, Nadia is now in America. She's living in Hank Pym's old, or like his, you know, his house that he still owns that still has all his stuff in it. So it's kind of part discovery mission for her to to like understand this father that she never met. Um, that everyone always told her she was a genius when she was in the red room. She was part of what they called the science class. Um, and they used these kids who were very smart to, uh, design technological weapons and things like that. And so she ended up because she was told so much about her father, figuring out how PIM particles worked. And so built several weapons for the Russians, uh, based around these PIM particles. Um, and whatever you know whatever the starting point was for her in all new young avengers or whatever she now like she has a costume and the wings of wasp she is fully wasp you know that's not like an origin story for wasp in this this is just her exploring that freedom in america um and what she sets out to do right away is put together this this uh group girl you know the geniuses in action research labs uh and initially she sees it as just a bunch of smart you know, science headed girls that all work out of Hank Pym's house with all his equipment. Um, So she uses Jarvis in that quest and gets Jarvis to like drive her around. And she one by one, you know, she's made this list of who all the uh, smartest girls are um, in the world. But also she knows, you know, there's five of them in New York City. So we're going to get them first. And so the first volume is, is very much concerned with her recruiting them, you know, and there are various reactions, you know, some of them are like, Oh my gosh, you know, you're Hank Pym's daughter. And they're like, of course I'll do whatever you want to, you know, whatever you suggest. Cause he's such a great scientist. Um, and then there are, you know, there's at least one that, that has a, a you know, very teenage girl problem of like, she's just getting in with the popular girls at school and she doesn't want to show her geek side because, uh, you know, her, she knows her very strict Indian parents will make her pursue that. And she would rather just be a popular girl and fit in and not stand out anymore. Um, and that, that girl, her, uh, steps outside with Nadia for a few minutes out of her parents' store. And in that brief moment of time, these two wrestlers that were alluded to on the back cover, try to rob that store. These, you know, lady pro wrestlers gone bad uh, so they're <laughs> so they're kind you know, yeah they're kind of they're kind of you remember the second season of glow where they just <laughs> pulled off bank heists oh uh, uh, yeah where they uh so these these uh these women are like very large but they're not super powered and they're out of work because no you know <laughs> the wrestling world doesn't want strong ladies anymore they want pretty ladies and um who are skinny and so these two uh, ladies are holding up this uh the store and nadia tries to reason with them and then when they won't listen to her and they threaten violence you know she was raised in an assassin school so she responds with violence and just kicks their asses and jarvis is standing there like do i need to call the avengers you know and then they're they're wrapped up right away Mm -hmm. um she does run into uh moon girl 
who is in this book called Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur. I don't know anything about her except that she's nine years old and has this giant Tyrannosaurus Rex that's red that is like her companion. And she is supposedly the smartest person in the world. So she has a bunch of like gadgets. You know, she's more of a Iron Man kind of superhero, well, I guess. Okay, so let me, let me jump in because yeah. you said she was gone. She was on a quest to find the smartest girls. Uh, does this take place in the Riri Williams Iron Man timeline or does that, does yeah, that reference would, at all? I would think, you know, it's funny because Riri doesn't come up, I think. I mean, if, you, um, if she's collecting smart girls, it's <laughs> that'd be a good one to add yeah. to your your list. Uh, that is a good question. And I think timing wise from when this book came out, Riri would have been in the armor already. So maybe that's why she wasn't in it. But um, yeah, good good question. Uh, but uh, th so there, there's sort of this series of vignettes in volume one of her putting together this team. And one of the other girls from the Red Room finds her, you know, and expects that Nadia will treat her with animosity. Like, you know, and instead she's so happy to see her and wants to be friends with her and all that kind of stuff. And um, uh, it, this, very, this confuses this girl that's, you know, and then we learn, you know, we learn over the 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 course of this story. I won't get into spoilery details, but uh, that girl is still, even though she, you know, that initial um, uh, encounter with Nadia shows Ying, the girl's name, that um, you know that Nadia like has these very pure feelings of friendship for her, and doesn't treat her like an enemy now that she's out of the red room. But it's clear that Ying is still under the thumb of the red room and operating at their orders. So there's sort of a, you know, Fox in the hen house kind of situation here where that comes up later. Um, and fortunately the girls that, uh, Nadia has put together, um, they all respond, you know, to help, uh, Nadia out, but it also ends up helping Ying out. And like, you know, there's, there's that, that tense moment of like, you know, is she going to appreciate this help or whatever? And it's, you know, it's, um, a story you can imagine, but it's still fun here. Um, what I really wanted to, uh, one thing I really wanted to touch on there is that this great thing starts happening near the end of volume one and carries into volume two, which is that Janet Van Dyne, Hank Pym's ex-wife, mm -hmm. uh, becomes this sort of surrogate mother for Nadia. And it's, you know, it's, it's almost in a, um, like bailing her ass out of trouble kind of well, thing. Well, she's the original wasp as well. So I would yeah. imagine she has some good she's, she's actually the current wasp. Oh, she is. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> so yeah, there's just two wasps, but um, yeah, she's still active. Um, now wait, she, is this who I see on the cover of volume two is Janet yes. and Nadia. Okay. Yeah. Janet's in the yellow and Nadia's in the red. Nice. Okay. Yeah. So she becomes this mentor and, you know, surrogate mother figure to this girl who's, so there is this interesting relationship of um you know the <laughs> she calls her stepdaughter but this is the daughter of her ex-husband's first wife you know um and not that there should be any definitely not any animosity but it's like she, you know it's just literally a stranger to her like mm -hmm. she she grew up you know janet didn't know this girl existed so what we see is a this really great characterization i thought written into janet of you know, Janet does have to come out and be deliberate and like spell it out for us a lot. Like I never saw myself as the motherly type, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But I think we do see that, you know, not, not, it's not big grudging. It's just that unfamiliarity with how to be close to a young girl and how to mother her. 
And there's a, a really great payoff in. Um, so anyway, after these, let me let me talk about the payoff in a second. This this incident where all the girls come together to help out Ying and Nadia and sort of you know show Ying that there is good you know in the world and that you know she doesn't have to be under the thumb of the red room. Um, that gets all the girls in trouble with their parents. Just that action, and then the way Janet, um, there's a great payoff in that Janet smooths over those things and so you know there's another great scene of janet uh in volume two we really get in janet's head and it's like janet's telling the story and she's talking about there's a there's a great scene where um she discusses uh, like it's almost meta commentary she's saying you know a lot of people a lot of avengers fanboys always thought why is there a wasp in the avengers you know she's she can fly but so can iron man she can shrink, but show, so can Ant-Man, you know, she, she's just duplicating the powers of these other people. And she says, so they, you know, they criticize, they level all this criticism at her. And it's clear that it's like, yeah, that's what Marvel fanboys were. That's the criticism they were leveling at her as a character. Mm -hmm. um, but as she's doing this, the panels are showing her making all these phone calls. And then her narration is, you know, but the thing is like, I'm a, I'm a fixer and I'm like the, you know, the manager. And so what the payoff is, is that later we see that she, you know, she has it worked her, her unique brand of, um, you know, like charisma and all the, all the sort of powers at her command, because she is now the chairman of the, uh, PIM labs or whatever it's called. So, mm -hmm. um, she's able to sort of make some deals with people and call in some, wait, 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 she goes from red room to chairman of PIM labs. No, no, no. This is, this is Janet. Oh, Janet. Sorry. Okay. Janet. I was like, whoa. <laughs> So we're seeing Janet like really work it out um, and, it. and step in, at, you know, like step into that leadership role that Nadia needs, but also it shows her off as like an independent, you know, her own independent person outside of the Avengers, you know, and, and she's fixing these things that she, like she talks about how the Avengers, you know, they're all about helping people, but they're not always there to make sure that those people they help like that their lives get better afterwards. Oh, and see, I like that. That, yeah. is, that is a theme they've played with a few times in Doctor Who for mm. the same reason where it's like, you know, and they, there was a couple heavy handed episodes now and then where it's like, you know, you, you never stay, stick around to see what happens after you leave. You know, it's like he right. always solves the day or now she, but solves the day and then like moves on. And so this, they're always, it's, there's always juicy storytelling to be done when you can sort of see, well, what happens after that? Like, how do they put themselves together? How do they, you know, is it like a drug where people get so used to having that thing, whether it be the Avengers or whoever it is that they can't then function for themselves. And it's, you know, creates too much imbalance. Like those are juicy questions to ask. Yeah. And, yeah. and it, it gives so much to that character who, you know, was almost like, playing the sidekick to Nadia when she was introduced into this story, mm. you know? And so they do this great thing where volume one ends on this cliffhanger of, you know, um, uh, Nadia has, sorry, the names keep getting screwed up in my head. Nadia has spent so much energy putting together uh, girl, the group. And then this one incident happens with Ying from the red room that of course causes a big problem, you know, and it's played out in, in that great Marvel fashion of like all the law enforcement agencies act the way they should, you know, like it's not, it's not like a DC book where the corrupt police show up and they just let the vigilante heroes like run over everything. It's like, you know, the cops show up and it's like a big freaking deal that this house is almost blown up. Mm -hmm. So, 
I, that causes problems. And, and, you know, Janet's sort of left there standing on the lawn, like, you know, how do I help this girl and help all of these girls? And then volume two picks up and we're in Janet's head watching her put together, um, you know, like just making things right. And it, I don't know, it's just really satisfying. And like you say, it's just, it offers that rich storytelling place to begin from, you know, like let's make things better after the incident happened. Tell me more uh, about the art. What did you, what was your biggest takeaway from that? Well, it's very like, it's appropriate for that audience. So um, also like the Janet storyline and stuff there and the, and the acronym girl, these are, you know, could be heavy handed if you're coming into this as an adult reader, you know, it might seem a little corny. Um, the art at times uh, reminds me of like, I don't want to get like, it just sort of an Archie comic look. Okay. You know, but not too much. Um, and it has a, a lot of the, like, I like the sort of hipster references in it that um, uh, Batgirl had when Babs Tar took over and definitely like when Babs Tar did the art on the, whatever the Batgirl new 52 or rebirth or whatever the hell it was called. I rebirth, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, and made like when they situated Batgirl in like a hipster area of Gotham. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, there's like, uh, it, you'll see Nadia's got like really sharp bangs, but then someone will call it out, you know, kind of thing. Or, okay. Okay. <laughs> you know, so, uh, one of the girls shows up with chai tea and they're all, there's sort of like, haters going to hate uh, what that's, oh, like. you know, what's chai tea and that kind of thing. Um, but, uh, so it's like the storylines, the, the art is a little bit like kind of junior to what I'm used to reading, but it still totally suits the story. And so I was happy going through it. And this is probably as good a time as any to bring up <laughs> what I alluded to earlier with the, like I said, it's all wrapped up except for this one little thing I'll talk about, um, which came up in the Mockingbird episode, if you recall, which is that this in my opinion, totally dumb civil war two crossover thing happened. And mm -hmm. so at the end of volume one, there is like this great cliffhanger, you know, it's not great. It's not like game of Thrones. Like you're not on the edge of your seat in suspense. What's going to happen to these girls? Are they going to get in trouble with their parents? But it's that thing of like, we want to see the consequences after the thing that happened, you know, yeah, like this, yeah. this thing where law enforcement was called what, you know, what happens to these teenage girls? Um, and it's sort of, especially in the digital version, like there's a cover where you see the two wasps. No, no, sorry. You see that sort of the aftermath, like what would naturally happen next or whatever. Um, but uh, the next issue, all of a sudden the art changes and it's more grown up and it's more like just comic book standard sort of run of the mill comic book. I mean, it's beautiful, but it's like you've seen it before. You've seen mm -hmm. that style. And you're you like on one hand, it's great that you are so aware that you are no longer in the story you just were, mm -hmm. but it is a terrible place to put this to jam in. It's this, a teaser for Civil War, too. It's one of those like crossover things that Marvel does where yeah. you know they'll have a Civil War series that's really only like six to 12 issues, but then they'll put out special issues for all of these heroes that are involved, yeah, just to sort of try to get people buying all of the you know tangential issues and so it fully pulls you out of the story for this weird uh team up between the two wasps that is only related to civil war it's not even really related to civil war like it's just that's the background of it and this thing happens that 
in no way informs anything that happened before in the book or after. Wow. And it was so, so frustrating to me. And that very same thing happened in Mockingbird. And it was even, well, I don't know. I was about to say it was even worse in Mockingbird, but um, because there was such a, a, a play in Mockingbird on like the feminist agenda of the book. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, like a, a, like very intentional um, flipping the gender roles and, and having like a beefcake kind of stuff. And then all of a sudden at the end of this book, hear these civil war episodes and you're seeing all that cheesecake stuff. Like you're seeing the women of the universe drawn in the, you know, traditional comic book cheesecakey style. And that sort of throw that totally throws you off. Actually, this throws you off just as much because it's like so oriented to this certain audience and this girl audience. And I mean, if I, I don't know if you're, if you're a teenage girl reading this and you're like, wow, this is really awesome. That's all these. It almost, does it feel like, does it feel like, Hey, I'm a teenage girl reading this and Oh, now the boys have to intrude in at the end of my story with their nonsense. Does it, does it almost feel like that where it's, you know, it's, well, we have this special thing that's ours. And now that's being corrupted <laughs> by this other, you know, other, does that make any sense? Well, yeah, but they, fortunately they don't pull in too many of the boys, you know, yeah. it's, it's really like a pure wasp on wasp story. And okay. it does actually <laughs> wasp, on wasp. wasp with wasp. <laughs> it, 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 uh, it does advance a little bit of the, the Hank Pym conflict. It's not for boys at all, wasp on wasp action, oh, sorry. Um, but it, uh, <laughs> it, it gives you a little bit more of the Hank Pym um, thing because one of the dynamics in that relationship is that Janet sees Hank's impulsiveness in Nadia and her obsessiveness. And so that is the at issue in those, in that civil war chapter. It's just so, it's not, it's like, it's really that thing that you and I talk about where it's like the art is going to communicate to you so much about the story. Mm -hmm. And when it radically changes from, you know, it's more cartoonish self to this more self-serious uh, superhero look. It just, you just, it's sort of like, it doesn't really matter what the story is, even though the story like kind of keeps in, in the same vein. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just, it's just useless. And I really wish they had not done it and instead put out a trade paperback that was just seriously the arc, you know, like mm -hmm. the story arc. And they even could have combined, like, why not just put out an eight issue, uh, trade and put the whole story arc together. And there's just one volume of the unstoppable. Oh, so that, that doesn't exist at all. It's just completely on the back of these, these issues. Right. Well, I, uh, sorry, I don't sorry, know. Exactly I, I, thought asking, talking, I thought you were describing this, you know, knowing that, Oh, this was just originally collected, eventually collected anyway, in its own thing, but it, it's not even that. Oh no, this, this is the collection. So the mm. collection of, for, of those eight issues that exist is volume one and volume two. And at the end of volume one is where this civil war story is just shoehorned in. But, the, I mean, but does that, but does that whole story start and end in volume two then, or does that, yes. do I have so to, then, okay. <laughs> great question. So then volume two picks up where issue like four of volume one ended. Okay. So it's like it ignores the whole civil war issue. Oh, I see. So a lot of volume one is devoted to the civil war. Yeah, not a lot, but you know, like yeah, okay. you're at this cliffhanger point and then all of a sudden you read this dumb civil war. Story, I see. And you're and like, then you get back into it. Oh, okay. Okay. So that's actually why I ended up doing both uh, for the, for our episode today was because I was like, well, this is just dumb. There's no point in me. <laughs> yeah. First half yeah. Of this the second half of, you know, Janet's story and everything. Um, but I, the other thing that I wanted to bring up and, uh, which is that 
Um, oh boy, I just lost it. I had this bookmarked um, and I did not pull it up before we started recording, but I know there's been a lot of discussion basically about Hank Pym's treatment of Janet because Hank was a domestic abuser. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I don't know exactly. I'm not like, I'm not familiar with that arc or, um, you know, the, the, the way that was treated at the time or anything like that. Um, but I know that it's been written about over the past few years with the Ant-Man movies coming out and how, you know, Hank Pym was, it was kind of shitty. In fact, it was, yeah. it was a comic book, uh, CBR.com that did a, um, uh, a, a big thing this summer on how they're trying to retcon the, you know, the abuse. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I like there's, you know, this absolutely doesn't, uh, I, I don't think the unstoppable wasp retcons that, and it does not necessarily address it as directly. Well, I don't know. It's hard to say. I was about to say as it should, mm-hmm. but it is great that they address it. Okay. And what they do is like, and, and it's also just narratively, it works so well. There is a moment in this story when, you know, as you like, as a good storyteller would do right at right as everything is sort of going up, you know, and it looks like everything's going to work out. And, you know, it's just like the, the, the emotional motion is going up. Uh, uh, Nadia becomes aware that uh, her father abused Janet. And she only has a relationship with Janet. Yeah. And yeah. so she and Janet have to talk about that. And wow. Oof. that I thought, and I'm happy to be corrected. Um, uh, I, I thought it was treated pretty sensitively and in character. Good. Uh, you know, I, it's obviously it's important to note that like a man wrote this issue. So I, I, you know, I would like to hear a woman's take on that, but I, what I could hear in that voice of Janet's, the way he wrote it was that if there, if she, she wasn't exactly sugar coating things, mm-hmm. but it was definitely in that way of like, she's speaking to a child and she is not going to give the child all the details. Yeah. And so to, you know, to directly address it, I thought was kind of like the best we could hope for in that moment. You know, it, yeah. Yeah. Janet could not have an adult conversation with Nadia in that moment but she did, she did not deflect it. She didn't try, you know, like, it's just a, it's, I thought it was very well handled. Like as a, you know, this is how an adult, a, a very responsible adult would handle that. Like they don't tell her like, Oh, don't worry about that. You know, or, or anything like that. Like it's not brushed over. Had, and, had Janet and Hank gotten divorced before he died? Oh, you're stumping me on that one. I, well, the reason um, I ask is because I'm curious if the, if that relationship colors, the Nadia Janet relationship all the more because you know, Janet's like, Hey, look, there were good parts of Hank that I did love. And he's got this kid here that didn't know her and she didn't know him. Maybe I can sort of, I can be the bridge between the two of them and, and, you know, show her the best parts of Hank and then take from her the best parts of Hank, you know, that I miss and then sort of have that fulfilled on both sides. I could see that being, you know, it, maybe she looks yeah. at it that way. They probably don't get that, that in depth. with No, them, actually they do. <laughs> they do? Okay, and it's pretty good. Like she, 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 pretty directly says that oh like great. you know he he did act like a hero at times and he did save the world you know at times but he was also evil at times yeah, yeah. and what's He's also so interesting cool. about it and this is the part that i don't you know it's it, it's a fine line between you know it, i i don't think they're excusing the behavior but obviously i think that's 
open to debate. But what Janet does, which I thought was important, was that she addresses the mental health aspect of it. And she says, you know, Hank didn't seek treatment for these things. And he should have. Mm. And and I believe she even says like, you know, uh, uh, she, maybe she, I, not that she's blaming herself, but I think she even alludes to like, I should have left him at that time. Or I'm sorry, I don't want to inject anything into this, the serious, you know, part of the debate, but it's, sure, but sure. it's like, um, it, it's, it just puts that other layer on it of mm. when she is doing, you know, handling Nadia in certain ways, it's because she does see some of those traits in Nadia that could lead to something destructive yeah. if Nadia is not aware of it. And if Nadia doesn't take the, you know, the right uh, self-conscious actions to, you know, mitigate that in herself. Yeah, and okay. so it is in that way that the one little civil war story ties into it because that is about Nadia's obsession on fixing something with science rather than dealing with the human component of it. Okay. Um, and Janet does get to tell her that in that moment. So that theme does play into the second volume. Uh, still wish they hadn't had the civil war two stuff at all, <laughs> but, um, but Don't yeah, say I really feel Todd. <laughs> I think, uh, it, it just, you know, it, that comes so late in the book and it's it, but it ends up being like such a kind of emotional, um, you know, a bow on the whole thing Yeah, of like, we've seen Nadia is so exuberant through this. She's so excited to put together these girl geniuses and to have this laboratory and all this stuff and to, you know, collaborate with girls on a thing that's not destructive. And then to have to confront that in her own past that she was really, you know, mm-hmm. just not aware of. And I don't know. I just thought it was handled really well. And, um, I, it, it kind of like drew me into the story a little bit more, I think because of that. And I would say when I was reading the first volume, I kind of thought, I don't know if this is worth discussing on our podcast. Cause it's, you know, definitely like it's so, uh, so directed at a particular audience. Um, but I almost think now that it's like, no, like if you're at all a superhero fan, this is probably a great book to read because of the way it's going to like subvert your expectations, you know, with those themes. Yeah. Like it it really deals with those human themes really well. Um, And yeah, I ended up, you know, just thinking it was, it was great. It does not ever take the corny joke route out that Mockingbird sometimes did. Mm-hmm. Um, and Mockingbird 2 addressed very serious themes. Well, that was, that was but, almost like a Deadpool sort of spinoff in some ways. Yeah, something. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, uh, you know, especially for a book um, that is so geared towards young girls and, and the science minded and stuff, I thought this was, you know, just really, really well done. There are a whole bunch of like, you know, Nadia science notes kind of narrative blocks in there where uh, yeah, she's yeah. in the middle fight and she will explain to you the science behind Krav Maga or something. <laughs> You're like, wow, oh, pretty, that's a pretty cool thing to do. And it's, yeah. it's, you know, it's one of those things that we're used to seeing in like image books or something where they, they do great graphic breakdowns of stuff, but yeah, yeah, yeah. In a superhero book. So Very that cool. is the unstoppable wasp. I, you've probably picked up on it. I would say this is like recommended if you like mockingbird or if you like the, the Batgirl that Babs tar did, um, you know, or, I would say that if you got like the new run of, of Archie books and you want to read a superhero book in that style, this is probably a great one. And this is uh, volumes one and two, correct? Yes. And both from 2017. Uh, well, I believe maybe, maybe the second one came out this year, but you know, there it's done series is over. Um, I don't know where Nadia is in Canon right now, but 
it's it's a great thing to read. Like you could read them both, you know, in a day or two. And I thought you're I thought you're gonna end that with, but I wish her well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the stars um, in line for you, young girl or young hero, as you go off on your journey. What um I guess physical or digital? So I read them both digitally. These are two of those that I picked up during that huge Marvel sale on Kindle and Comicsology oh, yeah. months ago. So yeah. they were, but I looked them up today uh, on Amazon, you know, as I was doing what I'll call uh, generously call research, um, <laughs> but really just grabbing the back cover copy and th- in paperback, they're both like at $10 or under $10. So cool. it might be kind of fun if like, if you're a fan of the art, like check it out online, grab them on Amazon for a cheap amount, or of course, support your local comic book store by buying them there. Yeah. I did read them on Comixology. Um, I liked it that way. You know, it's, uh, it just sort of, you know, it suits the, the subject matter. Mm-hmm. And I actually liked having some of the panels just blown up like really big. Like you could tell on the page, this was a small panel, but because it fits so perfectly on the screen, it would kind yeah. of expand yeah. a little bit and it just gave it a more, uh, uh like television feel to yep. it. You know? I love that's I love yeah. that about comicsology guided view is that it yeah. makes every panel just as important. So you get a different feel. Um you gotta be really careful with that though because some things yeah built for print um you don't want to mess with that sort of the the way you in, in, interact with each panel but on digital it's especially if it's with some of these newer titles like we've talked about before some of these sort of that feel more like television anyway just by the yeah. nature of the story it's it's great to view them one panel at a time. It just gives it more of a cinematic approach. Yeah. But if you do get the paper, uh, feel free to tear out that civil war two story <laughs> <laughs> or I, honestly, maybe not, You're not gonna let out. it go. Are you? But, um, but what you could do with paper, I think is more quickly <laughs> recognize where it's coming up and just yeah. not read it, read volume two Love and then that. come back to it. Yeah. You know, like it's, it's fine as an informative thing, but you're, you're going to want to hit that first issue of volume two. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's going to imagine being one of those the people that had to wait in between the release. You got to read them both back to back. Like imagine the people that's like, well, I guess in four months I'll know what happens. I, I know it's super dramatic, but I just think of the, you know, uh, a, a new reader getting into this, you know, whether it's, whether it's a, a you know, a, a girl or a boy or, or, you know, um, or however they identify oh, getting sure. into a comic book Ooh. and being like, Oh wow. A, you know, a science, uh, influenced hero who emphasizes nonviolence. This is yep. so unique. And then inserted right in the middle of it is this jackass <laughs> two crossover. Did you, you ever know. wonder what would happen if the two wasps teamed up and fought with the Avengers for something? Let's find out. And just yeah. like, there you go. I mean, thank God they're not involved, but it's like, you know, the whole, <laughs> the whole setting of civil war two is that Hawkeye has killed Bruce Banner. Oh, like, wow. Okay. But also, it just uh, like they even describe the whole plot of Civil War II in this issue. Sorry, I'm God, I'm going way over time on this. But uh, it just it doesn't like it doesn't have the weight of the first Civil War series. Oh yeah. And why even bother anyway? Sorry. Event comics. Aye. See, this is what happens when you let series run on way too long. I, the publishers yeah. beholden to that instead of new creative output. <laughs> I've gone over time just due to my angst at Civil War II. Taylor, yeah. where can people find this show? <laughs> find us at panelism.inc, both online as a website, panelism.inc, and that is our Instagram handle as well. 
panelism.ink. You can find us anywhere podcasts are downloaded. Just search for panelism or find uh, find our feeds at panelism.ink again. And uh, please subscribe. Please share with your friends too and leave us a review uh, anywhere you can. That always helps us and helps the show. Same thing with comments on social media. All that uh, good or bad is, is just helpful for visibility and letting other people create conversations. So we'd appreciate it if you could do that. Uh, anything else from you, sir? I don't think so. Uh, thanks for chatting with me about the unstoppable wasp. Uh, it's been a good one and, uh, can't wait to pick that up as well. And can't wait for our next episode. I will see you then. All right. Talk to you later.